Good morning. It's great to be back with you. As uh, Art mentioned yesterday, we were at the Presbytery and, and uh, uh, Tennessee Valley Presbytery. It was a good, good meeting. Uh, interesting and uh, glad that, glad that we could be there. Um, the Presbytery did officially approve uh, my call to serve as your stated supply, so uh, I will be here with you all for quite a while. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing how we can learn uh, to minister together uh, and to encourage and to uh, grow in our faith together. If you have your Bibles, if you will turn to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to read verses 22 through 26. 22 through 26. And if you will, I know you just sat down, uh, but if you will stand in honor of God's word, let us hear the Lord's living word as we find it in Scripture. 2 Timothy 2, 22 through 26. Hear now the word of the Lord. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And if you uh, will take, uh, join me for just a moment of prayer. Let's go before the Lord. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that we can come into your house, that you've called us into your house. Because we are yours, I pray, O God, that you would be with us now, that you would open up your word to us, that you'd speak to us and teach us and increase our faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, back in the late 80s, my wife and I were uh, living in L.A., lower Alabama, and I was serving in a church there as a youth director. My wife was great with child with our second second child, and we had uh, an appointment at the doctor uh, that day. And uh, just a little background, this was pre-cell phone, pre-GPS. For those of you who remember those days, if you went somewhere you didn't know, you had this book or, or this big piece of paper, and one of you had to be the navigator and, and would get us there. Well, being the, the good husband that I am, we started on our trek down from Atmore, Alabama to Pensacola to the hospital. And we were heading down uh, to the, high, the highway. We had just crossed the state line. And I said, I know a shortcut. Now, some of you are saying, oh, no, David, you're in trouble now. Uh, but at the time, I didn't think so. So I made a turn and we got on this road and we drove and we drove and we drove. And Kathy the whole time saying, David, it shouldn't take us this long to get to the hospital. And I said, no, no, we'll get there. It's just around the next corner. Of course, it was never around the next corner. After about 30 or 45 minutes, we end up in Gulf Shores. Uh, 
or just north of Gulf Shores anyways. But we, 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 we get to the interstate to I-10 and we cross over. And, and if any of you are familiar with that, that area, there's an amusement park or used to be, and was, this was 30 years ago, used to be a little amusement park there. And, and as soon as we saw that, I said, I don't know where I am. I don't know where we are. And we saw a sign and realized that uh, we had momentarily been in Florida, but we had actually gotten back into Alabama and we were nowhere near where we had to be. I had to admit that I was totally wrong. I had to admit that I had no idea where I was. And the interstate actually was my saving grace because I knew if I got on the interstate and headed east, eventually I would get to Pensacola. So I had to turn around and go a different way. Now, some of you were laughing because you've been there, done that, right? (laughs) You've experienced that. And we all have in our lives. Today, uh, the past couple weeks, we've been looking at the three R's of of church health. We looked at remembrance last week. Uh, This week, we're going to talk a little bit about repentance. Uh, And and then for the next uh, six or eight weeks, we're going to talk about recovering or returning. But that was an instant, that road, that trip there where I had to physically repent. I had to turn around and make, I had to make a choice to do something different. Uh, we ended up being late for the doctor's appointment, but uh, the doctor was gracious to us, and our son eventually was born a healthy, healthy young boy and, and now lives in New York City with his wife, uh, works uh, for Christian Dior, and is a blessing to us. We all have to, at times in our lives, come to this point where we need the grace of God to work in our lives to move us to make a change. When we talk about repentance in relation to church health, we have to see that it's, it's twofold. There's the individual repentance that we each need to deal with every day. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you, if you are not waking up repenting, then there's probably an, an issue in your life that you need to, to deal with. And as a church, we need to talk about this too. Now, we may say, well, what do we have to repent of? I honestly, at the moment, can't tell you that. But in church life and in personal life, there is always something that we need to be dealing with. Thomas Watson, my uh, favorite of the Puritans, writes in his uh, booklet on repentance, the two great graces, essential to a saint in this life are faith and repentance. These are the two wings by which he flies to heaven. Faith and repentance preserve the spiritual life just as heat and radical moisture preserve the natural. The grace which I'm going to discuss is repentance. I wonder if you've ever thought of repentance in that way. Let me read that last line again. The grace which I'm going to discuss is repentance. In the next few minutes, as we look through this passage and we see it in, in connection to this passage from Timothy, I want us to see and understand that the repentance is pursuit, equal to pursuit. But it's the pursuit of the right things at the right time. Look back at the passage. He begins, to, Paul writing to Timothy. And, and just a little background, Timothy was Paul's early disciple, became Paul's right-hand man. When Paul had a troubled church, 
Timothy was sent to take care of that church. He's writing to Timothy, who's now the pastor in Ephesus. A church, if you remember back to the first sermon in this series, we read the angel of the Lord, uh, or Christ himself actually, writing to the angel of the church at Ephesus. And remember, what had they done? What was the negative he had against them? They had lost their first love. They had stopped pursuing God. Uh, Timothy is the pastor now in this church that's in this process of decay, in this process of dying, going through this. And and Paul's writing to Timothy to encourage him in revitalizing and building and growing this church. And he shares these words with him. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now notice that last part of that phrase, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You see the corporate aspect there. He's writing to Timothy individually and speaking to him as an individual, but also speaking to the church broadly, to the corporate body. You're to do this together with others within the church. Repentance alone is hard to do. And oftentimes will be near impossible to do because we don't want to admit the mistakes. If I had been in that car by myself uh, and my wife had not been there and we were not trying to make an appointment, I would have just said, I meant to do that. I wanted to see that part of Alabama and Florida. I wanted to go to that park. And eventually I did or would have gotten to the hospital but that's what I meant to do because by myself and left to myself, I'm not going to make those decisions of repentance. I'm going to pursue what I want to pursue. So as as we look at the passage, we see it begins with, so flee, run away from. It's a a perfect active imperative. If you're not familiar with what that means is, is this was not a, a request Paul was not saying, if you feel like this, Timothy, this is what you should do. No, he was telling them, this is, this is something you must do. Something we must do. We must flee. It's not a one and done, but it's a continual doing. That's what he's saying to, to Timothy and to us. You can't just do it once. You must daily be fleeing these youthful passions and pursuing. So daily, you're fleeing the youthful and you're pursuing because the next word there, pursuing, is also in a perfect active imperative. We're to do both. We're to flee first the youthful passions. Some, transla- some of your translations may say youthful lusts. And this is not necessarily meant to be referring to the sexual, though it could. But it refers to the attitudes and the decisions of youth that we've all experienced at one time or another. I know better. I know better than my parents do. I know better than my boss does. I know better than so-and-so does. Uh, we, we've all heard it. Those of you who've raised children, you remember what was the first phrase that your children all really knew? I can, I can do it myself. We all tend to that. And in these useful passions are, are those, those thoughts that we have, those passions that we have to say we can go it ourselves. And it contrasts with what we are to pursue. He says, flee, run away from, turn away from, and pursue. 
So again, we're heading down the road. We've gotten on the wrong street, on the wrong road. We're heading in the wrong direction. We're, we're at that point supposed to turn around and flee to get away from that, that attitude, that action, and pursue the right way. Now, what is that? Pursue, as I mentioned, is a perfect active imperative here. It's, it's not a choice. Paul is telling Timothy and telling us that we must do it. And the word means to, to chase after as if to capture, to go after with intent. So Paul's encouraging Timothy and encouraging us in our relationship with the Lord. When we find ourselves on that wrong path, we're to immediately turn around and run away from it and go after the Lord as if we're intent on capturing him. Picture yourself running towards God with your arms wide open as if you want, you're, you're trying to grab a hold and hold on as tight as you can. That is that picture of pursuit here. Now, the natural question is, what then are we to pursue? Well, he gives us a list here. We're to pursue first righteousness. Now, this speaks not only to what is right, but to living right, rightly, to living righteously. And we know the scriptures teach us about Christ's imputed righteousness and that we cannot be righteous unless Christ does that work for us. But in his imputation, we are also called to live righteous. So when we talk about that in relation to the law we find in the scriptures, when we talk about it in, in, in relation to obedience to the commandments of, of Christ in the scriptures, it's, we think, must think about it this way. We obey or live righteously, not in order to gain the grace of God and to gain our salvation, but because of our salvation. He's imputed his righteousness and made us righteous. And because of what God has done in us, we now are to pursue that and to live that way for the glory of God because of what he has done in us. We're to pursue righteousness but we're also to pursue faith. Faith isn't something that comes naturally to us. You know, you all sat down, faithfully sat down in your chairs. That seems natural, but there was a point in your life, probably when you were real small, you were hesitant. Until you actually sat in a chair and saw that it would hold you, and that was the function of it. Until you were taught that, you, you didn't have the faith to actually sit in it. Faith Pistis is to be pursued. It's a faith in God, not in self. As I was driving that road in Alabama, I was confident in my own strength that I knew where I was going. The Lord was laughing the whole way. My wife was crying most of the way because I was putting my faith in the wrong place. We're called here. Paul calls us to flee our youthful passions, that passion for self, and pursue faith. We're also to pursue love. Agape is the word used here. And those of you who are familiar with the Greek know there are three different words for love that are used. This is the unconditional, overwhelming love that God shows us. We are to be pursuing this. It's not to be loved, but to be a lover of others unconditionally. We're to pursue the, the, the action in the life of love and care for those around us. 
And then the last one is peace. Shalom. It's a, a place, a, 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 a place of contentment. And we find it in Christ. I, I describe that as that shalom is that place of <sighs> if you ever experienced that maybe on a vacation or somewhere where you you've you've finally reached that point where you've been able to block out all of work, all of the rest of life. You've been able to finally just get to where you could sit on the la- on the chaise lounge out by the pool and you are perfectly content. In your mind you're thinking, I could sleep here. I could stay here forever. I don't have to go anywhere. It's an imperfect picture of shalom. But it's that place of total contentment that can only be found in the Lord. And we're to be pursuing it, not wishing for it, not hoping for it. We're to be actively seeking to get it with the intent of capturing it and holding on to it as if it's ours. Philippians 4, 7 and 8, you may be familiar with that verse. Be anxious for nothing but in all things through prayer and supplication. Wake, make your request known to the Lord. Make your request known to God. And the peace of God, the shalom of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We're to pursue that with the intent of taking hold of it and making it our own each and every day. And then we see the corporate aspect of that, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Paul here writing to this young pastor is giving reason for the church's existence. For the reason we're here today, and that is that we together can come and encourage each other in this way to pursue these things. In fact, he goes on a little bit later talking about that, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Why? Because there are times where we as individuals, but also we as a church, will not pursue what God is wanting us to pursue. And so we have to call each other back. We have to correct each other and say, no, stop what you're doing. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting the church. Let's repent. Let's make a turn and come back and pursue the right things. He's speaking to those who are like-minded and pursuing the same thing. Why? Because you're more likely to achieve the goal surrounded by others of like mind. In 2010, I started Get Fit for the King, a ministry in our uh, church in Virginia Beach, a fitness ministry. Uh, They've continued on even after I've left. Uh, But our goal was to uh, just to build better and healthier lives. We made changes in our church, Uh, our fellowship suppers. I I began noticing things after I had the doctor's visit. And I began noticing things like we would have a fellowship supper, which was almost entirely noodle and potato casseroles and then desserts of every kind. And I put it together that I was spending a lot of time in hospitals with patients with uh, coronary issues, blood pressure-related issues, uh, 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 diabetes. And I began putting it all together. Wait a minute. All of these are connected to diet and weight. 
So we made changes. I told the ladies that were cooking, I said, from now on, every meal has to have something green. Now, you'll have to understand that these ladies didn't like salads and they didn't like vegetables. Green beans, canned green beans, actually were the only vegetable that they would eat. So this was a challenge for them, too, uh, having to learn some new things. But we changed the menu for our church meals in order to include some proteins and to include some greens and to, uh, to, cut, to eat the rainbow and whatnot. Paul, uh, again, is encouraging us to, to come together as a church because we're more likely to achieve our goals. The studies have shown that if you're seeking to lose weight, for instance, you're more likely to be successful in that goal if you do it together with other folks of like mind than if you try to do it yourself. And so get fit for the king kind of sprung out of that mentality. We're more likely to make this change if we come together with that like mind to do so. And it was great in the time from 2010 to when I came. I saw folks get off of their heart, their blood pressure medicine. I saw uh, diabetics, uh, type 2 diabetics, be able to cut back on their medications and whatnot because they worked together. They held each other accountable. They came. I, I, I have, uh, there are still people in the gym at the church who have been now almost 15 years in that gym every day. Martha, uh, one of our folks in her 90s pound for pound the strongest person in that in that gym she comes every time every time the the doors open unless she's out of town or uh or sick uh because of the connection with others uh that like-minded desire to achieve the goal paul saying to timothy and saying to us that we have to come along or <clears throat> we are to come along with those others the church not everyone in the church, because we know that the church, the visible church, is made up of two groups of folks. Those who believe and those who are on the line are wavering. He's specific here. Come alongside or with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Raises the natural question, who determines who's got a pure heart? It's not me. And it's not your elders. And it's not even you as members. But the Lord seen in how we are living each day. The evidence of that is, are we pursuing the things we're pursue, supposed to pursue and are we fleeing that which we should flee? And if we're not, that's then where the church comes in as the body of Christ and says to the other piece of the body, listen, you're not pursuing the right things. You need to change. <clears throat> it's an encouragement to us. So, Brothers and sisters, understand that you are not alone in your journey with Christ. We, as the people of Evergreen here, are here to help each other along the way, to encourage and to grow and to, to, to push along at times, to pray for. I'm blessed to be part of a, a pastor's group I've been part of since 2018, and, and this group got me through covid you know, when I was having to be by myself and everything was online. And even though uh, uh, now only one, of them, only one of them is here local, Nate Zander at, at Christ the King Church, uh, the rest of them are spread out across the country. Uh, but we have a, a text line just this morning. One of them texted and said, will you pray for me? I'm preaching today. 
He's not the senior pastor. He's an associate. He said, I'm preaching today. It was a horrible week. I was real busy, and I just don't feel prepared. He was asking the church, asking the brothers to come alongside and help him to pursue what is right. And we are here too. God's people are there for you. In Galatians 6, 2, we read, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are doing what the Lord wants us to when we take on each other's burdens and we bear them and we encourage and we strengthen. But sadly, that's not the mentality in many churches. I pray it is the mentality here, but in many churches the mentality is, what am I going to get out of this? What's the preacher going to say for me? Are they going to sing my songs? Are they going to, to take care of my kids or, or any number of things? Feed me my casserole, whatever it is. Verses 23 and 24 give us some more guidance for our walks, for what we're to pursue by giving us some negative things, some things we're not to do. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. As you know, they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. We need to stop arguing and fighting, not picking fights, but seeking to be kind. We need to be ready to teach. In First Peter we read, But in your hearts honor God, Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Let me ask you, brothers and sisters, when you leave here today, when you go to wherever you are tomorrow, and in a few minutes, we'll, in our prayer time, we'll, we'll have another one of those this time tomorrow questions. This time tomorrow, if someone were to ask you, why do you believe what you believe, are you prepared to give them an answer for that? But note, be prepared to give a defense for the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect. Are you prepared to do that? We're also told to endure evil. It's always always around us. We don't have to go searching for evil. Peter also tells us that Satan is like a roaring lion wandering to and fro looking for whom he may devour. We don't have to go looking for evil. Evil will find us. The great thing, though, for us to know and to take comfort in is that evil is not eternal. Evil is temporal. It's only here and it's only for a short time. You were to be correcting, teaching, discipling those with different views. This being done with gentleness and respect, as we saw. And here's the why. Why should we do this? That God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. He, the Lord, brings that repentance and knowledge that we need. Note, he's, the, Paul writing to Timothy says that he may. This is a work of God done in those who are truly his and those who are pursuing him. 
Someone who does not know the Lord cannot repent. It's so when we see, for instance, in Mark chapter 1, when Jesus goes from village to village preaching the gospel and we read, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. He was not preaching that to the Gentiles and the pagans. He was preaching that to the people who were proclaiming and saying that they were believers. And essentially was saying to them, as we should be saying, if you say you believe in Jesus Christ, then live like you believe in Jesus Christ. Repent and believe. But it's a work that God has to do in us. And he can only do in those who are his. Let me rephrase that. He only does in those who are his. Now, when we come to know the Lord, of course, that involves repentance. But when we come to know the Lord, what is the process that's happening there? Christ is calling us to him. We are becoming his. And he moves and gives us that, that work of repentance in us. To the pagan, the blatant sinner who has no desire in God, he cannot repent and come to the Lord until the Lord calls him. But for those of us who have been called, we are to repent. Metanoia is the word that's used here. It means a a big, meta, big, large changing of the mind. To turn from and to turn into the opposite direction. Thomas Watson again writes, Repentance is the cherisher of piety, the procurer of mercy. The more regret and trouble and spirit we have at our have first at our conversion, the less we shall feel afterwards. Dr. Tom Hawks in his book Sanctification writes, true, true repentance will, however, always show itself in outward fruit, so that a lack of such fruit is one indicator that repentance has not occurred. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, Matthew 3.8. Repentance begins in the heart, but moves outward from it to action. Repentance isn't just a mindset. It's a life set. It's an action. Picture yourself in Jesus walking along the road in opposite directions. You suddenly realize, as I did in Alabama, that that you were wrong And you express that, oh no, I'm wrong, I need to change. And you turn around and you run to Christ with your arms wide open in order to grab and to hold on to him. That is the picture of repentance. If you have to ask the question, what do I have to repent of? Brothers and sisters, you're asking the wrong question. The right question would be, Who at this moment am I pursuing? Am I pursuing myself, my desires, my heart, my thoughts, my things, or am I pursuing Christ? And as soon as you answer that and realize that you're not pursuing Christ, you now know what you have to repent of. A relationship with Christ will mean a life of repentance. So we're called, as the great hymn says, to turn our eyes upon Jesus. And it's going to only be accomplished as God is at work 
in you. We can always resolve to say, I'm going to do better, but we'll always fail. My wife and I are looking at uh, a new gym that opened up just down the street from us. And gyms actually love this type of year. They love the revolutioners. You guys know them if you're involved in a gym. They're those folks that show up in mass during the month of January. Some of them can hang on until mid-February. But by March, when you come into the gym at your normal time, there's just crickets there because all of them have gone. Because they said, they resolved in their mind what they were going to do, but they didn't make the heart commitment to actually do it. The average New Year's resolution is broken within days of the resolution being made. I went to a conference years ago, and in in the course of the conference, they, uh, the, the speaker gave us the challenge to do the tongue test. So as we were leaving that day, we were challenged to speak nothing critical about anybody or to anybody and to only speak encouraging words. Guess how long it took me before I failed? I didn't even make it to the car before I said something critical. So I resolved I was going to do better and I'd never do that again. Didn't even make it out of the parking lot before it happened again. And I realized that if I try to do it myself, I'm going to fail every single time. Paul writes, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. We have to repent that we can move towards the truth. A knowledge of the truth. Repentance first and then knowledge. How many of us have tried to do it the opposite way first? I need to know more about God. I need to know more about the Bible. I need to know more about Christ. And then I can repent of what I'm doing. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible tells us to repent first. And then God will give us the knowledge we need to know. Turn from the old way. Begin to pursue the new way. And then you will learn it. Any, uh, any of you in here who are unhandy handymen? Like me? My dad was an electrical engineer who uh, knew everything about everything. Uh, former drag racer, he built stuff back in the in the day. Our first colored television, he built himself. Uh, our first com- home computer, he built himself. This was back in the day where you could buy kits off, not off the internet. There wasn't an internet back then, but you know he would buy these kits and he would build these things. And, and I remember the first time I tried to change the oil. What a mess I made. I'm I'm not manually gifted, but I've learned that if I begin to pursue the knowledge that I can learn how to do some things. But first I have to admit that I'm incapable of doing that thing and that I need the help in order to get to where I can do whatever that was. So, in Kingston, when we were living here the last time, I uh, started a computer business after I was uh, stepped down at, at, at Grace Fellowship. 
Uh, had no certifications, but I knew what I had to know because I made enough mistakes that I knew what not to do ever again. And in our walk with Christ, sometimes we get to that point where we begin pursuing knowledge when we start realizing that we've made mistakes and we know now what we're not supposed to do. And so we're going to try to do, we're going to move towards what we need to do. We need the knowledge of the truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. What is the truth that we are to pursue with Jesus Christ? You cannot know this truth apart from repentance. And how does that affect the church? It's a problem in the church. It affects our health as a church. Because we too easily flee from God and pursue ourselves instead of fleeing from self and pursuing God. Paul writes that that's what we're supposed to do. You want to see a healthy church? You want to see a growing church? Focus on pursuing God, not on pursuing people. I was speaking with a gentleman yesterday at Presbytery who's uh, working with RTS in Atlanta now in church planting. And he said, our goal is to plant means of grace churches. He said, I went to Nebraska to plant a church and I was totally by myself away from, I had no influences or what, nothing. And so I just started doing what the Bible told me to do. And the Lord built the church. Imagine that. You do what the, God, what the Lord tells you to do, and the Lord does what he says he would do. But it was only accomplished when he said, I can't do this myself, and I can't do it like everybody else wants me to do it. I've got to do it like God wants me to do it. Till he repented of self and others and turned to the Lord. We will never know God's will until we stop seeking our own. That's the change of mind that comes about both personally and corporately when we talk of repentance. And let me warn you that repentance is not easy. It's hard. It will bring you to tears at times, but it's worth it. My last Thomas Watson quote for the day. Either sin must drown or the soul must burn. Let it not be said that repentance is difficult. Things that are excellent deserve labor. Will a man not dig for gold in the ore, even though it makes him sweat? It is better to go to with difficulty to heaven than with ease to hell. I love Watson because he always provides you at least one bumper sticker in his quotes. It's better to go with difficulty to heaven than with ease to hell. That is the picture of repentance. That fight that we fight each day to pursue what God desires of us. Paul finishes up up in verse 26, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. As we close up, let me ask you, who are you captured by? Who is this church captured by? 
The reason we have so much trouble with repentance in the pursuit of God is that we're captivated by the devil, ensnared, tangled up like in a fishing line. And we might say, oh, I'm not ensnared by the devil. I'm a good person. I'm a believer. I, I'm not, I don't struggle with Satan at all. But let me ask you, why do you do what you do and live like you do? Paul himself, twice in his epistles, says that he struggles because he does the things he doesn't want to do and doesn't do the things he wants to do. If Paul had that struggle with sin and needed to repent, don't you think we do too? Is everything you do day after day, moment after moment, in pursuit of God or pursuit of self? If you can't say the former in pursuit of God, then you are captivated by Satan. We are constantly fighting the snares of the evil one, the distractions of life that take our eyes off the Lord. Again, as the song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his glorious face. Paul says it differently. He says, come to your sense, come to their senses. We're to repent of putting anything else before God, to come to our senses and realize that apart from God, I can do nothing. So I need to look at my life and allow God to change my mind. Then we read that phrase after the last comma there, after being captured by him to do his will. It's a difficult phrase. There are two possible interpretations that can come from this phrase. The first is refers to our capture and ensnarement by the devil, or the second refers back to our pursuit and our capture by Christ for his glory. I don't know about you, but I prefer the second interpretation here. To me, it makes more sense that the only way to flee, and you could argue that this is what uh, they, they call in, in hermeneutics an inclusio, where Paul's tying together his beginning, so flee your youthful lusts. How do we do that? By being captured by Christ so that we can do his will. The only way to flee and avoid the snare of the devil is to be captured by the grace of God and to do his will. Luther, in his book, uh, Bondage of the Will, writes on that. He speaks about our being captured by the Lord. We are all captured by something. The question you have to ask yourself and deal with, and the question we in the church have to ask too, is are we captured by the devil or are we captured by Christ? Which is better for us? Christ means life, grace, and mercy. Satan, of course, means death, turmoil, toil, Pain. This is what Paul's talking about. He's calling us to repent of doing life in church as we see fit, but instead calling us to live life in church as God desires and sees fit. 
And we start by fleeing the evil one and pursuing God. Beginning with our admitting we're wrong, turning away from that wrong, and chasing after God as if we, we can't let him go with repentance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our God and our King. We thank you, O oh God, that you've called us to you. Now, Father, we know there may be some present here today or watching online who do not know you. I pray that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would hear your call, that they would turn from their evil ways, that they would repent and come to you in faith. And Father, for those of us who know you, who even here today or online are, are trying to live our lives in a manner that brings you glory, but find ourselves all too often seeking self and seeking to live for ourselves, may we too confess and repent of that and turn to you. May we find ourselves every moment of the day clinging to the foot of the cross so that the only place that we may look is up into your eyes. Hearing you say, come to me, you who are weak and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. May we find our rest, our shalom in you, O Lord, today. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.